Hey everyone, welcome back to the Murder Board Podcast. This is Civil Trials, the discussion show for the Murder Board Podcast. I'm your co-host, Roderick, and I'm here today with Walter. Hello. Nolan. Hello. And last but not least, Zaria. Hello. And today we're going to be discussing the iconic film, Cruel Intentions. If you haven't seen this movie, this podcast does contain spoilers. This is your spoiler warning. But if you have, I hope you enjoy our little show. Let's get started. Yay. Congratulations. You're now the second. That was beautiful. Yes. Thank you. It was my first one, too. Yeah. Um, So, so far, only you and Sheldon have done the intro. So we got to get Zarya in there um because as senior members of the podcast and no one you'll you'll work your way up (laughs) (laughs) thank you roger for that beautiful intro yes tonight we are discussing cruel intentions i'm giving it away right now one of my favorite movies of all time it's in that it's i would say it's at least in my top 20 um i know roger you're a huge fan of it uh, I'm gonna keep the intro short because there's not a lot to discuss in my in in like, just to be honest, but like I couldn't come up with a good enough intro to like get us the conversation started without getting into the movie. So my only question for you guys is, um, cruel intentions. How would you describe this movie? This seminal late '90s movie. How would you describe it, Roderick? Ooh, that's a good question. I think I would describe it as if the movie clueless had taken on a more of a pg-13 tongue-in-cheek moment and kind of got a little bit darker and more sexual with the undertones that's how i would describe it all right all right that's cool all right uh what about you nolan how would you describe cruel intentions probably like a teen sexual drama with like a hidden kind of romance theme underneath it like a very like i don't even know uh like gossip girl kind of stuff like that vibe like just bad teenagers doing things like that i don't know <laughs> <laughs> all right all right and zaria what about, how would you describe cruel intentions a romantic story that developed from a bored bet from two hypersexual step siblings <laughs> all right cool sorry you get all the points for mentioning that they were step siblings because uh <laughs> <laughs> you know by popular belief, uh, at least from recent research, is done for the, uh, you know, uh, explicit, more the explicit sites online. Uh, step siblings are a thing, apparently. Um, man, oh man, yeah, I was struggling. You know, this is kind of outside of our wheelhouse. We haven't necessarily done anything like this. We've done movies with like romantic undertones or questionable romantic undertones. Usually, it's like very very um twisted you know we did um audience out there we did the talented mr ripley earlier this this summer which is probably the closest thing to this but even that one ended with multiple murders happening <laughs> and uh here we have like simple just like accidental manslaughter i want to say in this movie but uh yeah i, I was just, just just having trouble describing because it it's not a horror movie obviously it's not 100 percent a thriller but I would count it as a thriller, but I would count it as kind of like a romantic dramatic or a romantic dramedy thriller, if that's a thing. Like, I would put this in the same group as like, you know, Basic Instinct or Fatal Attraction. Just, you know, it's just with teenagers or, as you guys mentioned, very sexually or, you know, just horny teenagers. I would classify this movie as just romantically horny. And that's where I'll leave it. <laughs> 
So yeah, uh, we're going to go ahead and take our first break, and then I'll be back with some <laughs> amazing facts about Cruel Intentions. Can you imagine what this will do for my reputation? Screwing the new headmaster's daughter before school starts. She'll be my greatest victory. You don't stand a chance. Even this is out of your league. Care to make a wager on that? I'll think about it. Oh well. Duty calls. Dr. Greenbaum and her daughter should make for an exciting entry. Oh gee, your journal. Would you be more queer? Could you be more desperate to read it? Oh, Sebastian. Did you come here for a second? About that little wager of yours. Count me in. What are the terms? If I win, then that hot little car of yours is mine. And if I win? I'll give you something you've been obsessing about ever since our parents got married. Be more specific. I'll fuck your brains out. What makes you think I'd go for that bet? That's a 1956 Jaguar Roadster. Because I'm the only person you can't have and it kills you. No way. You can put it anywhere. Got yourself a bet, baby. We're back. Here are some quick facts about Cruel Intentions. It was released March 5th, 1999, written and directed by Roger Crumble. Based on, and I'm sorry for my pronunciation, but based on Les Liaison Dangerous, aka Dangerous Liaisons by uh, Perrier or Perry Chardal's de locos or lacos lacos again i don't i don't know french very well <laughs> or at all film star sarah michelle geller ryan Phillippe, reese witherspoon selma blair sean patrick thomas joshua jackson christine baranski and louise fletcher if you caught her she plays the aunt and uh Oscar winner, she won her Oscar for uh, playing Miss Ratchet or Nurse Ratchet in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, um, which is now a successful question mark Netflix show by Ryan Murphy. It, we don't know when. I don't think see, I don't think it went over very well though, because I don't think season two is coming out. Anyway, and the plot goes as such: Annette unwittingly becomes a pawn in Sebastian's and Catherine's deliciously diabolical wager of sexual conquest when she writes an article in Seventeen magazine about how she intends to stay pure until she's married her boyfriend. However, Sebastian gets more than he bargained for as he attempts to woo Annette into his bed. The budget for the film was $10.5 The box office was $75.9 million dollars. 
Um, and just some little bonus facts here that I think are amazing. So this movie was initially supposed to be a smaller budget independent movie. It was picked up by Columbia Pictures, Sony, and that then it became a much bigger production. Uh, despite mixed critical reviews, uh, the performances of Geller, Philippi, and Witherspoon were all praised, causing the film to advance to a uh, to advance at the box office through word of mouth. Uh, which I, I thought was interesting because that's the same way Scream kind of rose at the box office, which is word of mouth. They just kind of dropped it. And then over the next couple, you know, back then movies stayed in the theaters longer. You know, nowadays, you know, a movie hits theaters and then it's probably in theaters for about a month or two. Back then, movies would stay in the theaters for like six months and then you would get the DVD like almost a year later. Uh, but, you know, things move a lot faster these days. Uh, Cruel Intentions is also a franchise did you guys know this yes actually um there's one and there's there's a there's two and three and they're both free on tubi seriously that's funny uh, are they good Ooh. um the second one had like a 17 on rotten tomatoes and then oh, the third gosh. one doesn't even have a score damn well <laughs> oh no oh no well that's that on that and um honestly i'm not gonna lie i have seen them i don't i saw them a long time ago i don't remember too much from them will i rewatch them probably not even if they are on tubi i am actually you know just full disclosure right now i am using tubi because i decided to watch 13 coast of scooby-doo there's only 13 episodes will i interrupt that watching to watch cruel intentions two and three absolutely not but i have seen them and uh i don't have fond memories of them But yes, uh, so there was a prequel actually in 2000. And so essentially the prequel, which I think is part two. Yeah, essentially the prequel is just them exploring Catherine and Sebastian when they first met and how they got along in school and where their sexual attention came from and something to do with their dad. Um, It's a forgettable movie with none of the actors came back. None of the same writers came back. It's just a... uh, a, your basic, you know, early aughts, you know, private school under budget drama. And then there's a sequel in 2004, which did try to progress the story in a way. I don't remember this one too much, but I do know it does deal with different characters at the same school. But um, similar situation, similar plot. But did you also know that there was a jukes? <laughs> did you know that there's a jukebox musical that came out in 2015? No, but I could believe that there would be. Yes, I'll probably end up listening to the to the album. I remember when they like posted about it. I saw it on Facebook back then, and I was like, "Cruel Intentions." That seems familiar, but I just kind of threw it aside because, as we'll get into, I didn't watch the movie till much later. But um, yeah, cruel. It, in the same vein as like Heather's, which also came out around the same time or like a year later. I love Heather's the musical. Um, not a jukebox musical though, but um, it's it's uh. I, I would assume it has the same vibe to it, but I'm I'm interested in seeing this. I'm interested in seeing it, listening to it, and honestly, if anyone wants to bring it to or try and bring it to Broadway, go right ahead. I will be right there. <laughs> uh, last little thing about the franchise, though, I want to mention is that there is, and I want to know if you guys have ever heard of this, but there was a unaired TV pilot in 2016 with the OG writer and director and Sarah Michelle Gellar for NBC, simply titled Cruel Intentions. Did you guys know or hear about this at all? No. No. 
Oh my god. So nope. This is what I've known about the most. So I remember when they premiered, like, I don't remember watching because I didn't watch it. But I remember where they were, like, giving press on it. And because at the, around this time, one, uh, Robin Williams had just passed. Or at least he passed, like, a couple years beforehand. And if you remember, around the time he passed, he had just got done doing a, a series with Sarah Michelle Gellar, like a sitcom, on NBC. And so Sarah Michelle Gellar and Robin Williams, Robin Williams were actually really good friends. Um, aside from that sad note, I do remember them being like, Cruel Intentions, new TV show. Because around this time, everything was getting a TV show. You know, uh, 2015, same year the uh, Scream TV show came out. I was fully into that. Scream Queens, a lot of stuff. Um, Base Motel was ending. Teen Wolf was ending. So, like, you know, independent properties getting a lot of TV adaptations, quote-unquote requels, if you would like to bring that terminology back in. But I do remember hearing about this. I remember the photos. Um, and you can go watch this pilot on YouTube, or at least that's how I watched it. Um, I watched it a while back after I watched Cruel Intentions for the first time. I found out this was a thing. It may or may not still be on YouTube. I just remember when I looked it up at some point, I watched it. And unlike the sequels, I will never forget this because I was both entertained and bored out of my mind. <laughs> I could see why they did pick this up. So essentially what the story is, and I find it so, so interesting, but essentially the story is that if you, you pick up a bunch of years later and uh, you follow um, Reese Witherspoon's character. She didn't come back for the show, but they had an actress step in as her character, as an older version of her. And they kind of re retcon the ending to where she was pregnant <laughs> at the end of the movie and ended up having a kid. So it's Sebastian's son. Here's the basic plot of the, of the, of the TV pilot. So the pilot is set 17 years later after the events of the film. And it sees bash Casey, son of Sebastian Belmont. Get it? Bash Sebastian mm -hmm. clever writing in Hollywood people. Uh, it follows <laughs> the son of Sebastian Belmont and Annette Hardgrove, which was Reese Witherspoon's character. And I, the actress that they got for this looks nothing like Reese Witherspoon. They just took an actress and dyed her hair blonde. And <laughs> that was it. So bare minimum was done. Um, so he essentially discovers his late father's journal, which for some reason Annette kept. But like, if you look at the end of this movie, it was printed all over. So how did he not know about it? <laughs> it was right. <laughs> so uh, upon discovering this, he he's thrown into the world of lies, sex and power. The potential series will also follow Catherine, um, which Sarah Michelle Geller's character bashes step auntie. And attempt to gain the Belmont International Company. So essentially she was just back to take over the <laughs> the company that was like, I guess, kind of sort of in her family. But it would have gone to Sebastian. But essentially the pilot is that. It's just that he discovers who his real dad is. And he, him and Annette fly to uh, New York or wherever they're staying at. It's a really big stone, like, Californian-looking house. But apparently it's New York. Uh, the show essentially was trying to go for, like, a um, like a Dallas or, like, a, a soap opera meets, like, super sexy, M like, MTV, HBO type of vibe. Like, that's what it was going for. But by the sound of that, would you guys be interested in seeing that show if it were to, in another universe, was fully picked up? Would it, does, that, does that sound interesting to you after watching the movie? Uh, Zarya? No, because if there's, like, a weird sexual thing going on between Sarah Michelle Gellar's per uh, character and her step-nephew... I don't know. 
Yeah, like yeah, his like step on D, but <laughs> uh what about you, Nolan? Would you be interested? Uh I'd say no. I agree with Zarya. Like that part but I also think like it just like the movie just ended like at a good point, I guess, for me. I only need a continuation of it. Alright, alright. Hey, what about you, Roderick? Yeah, I'm on the same page. The universe starts and ends for me with cruel intentions. That movie, that's it. Alrighty. Um, yeah, I, again, like I said, I see why they didn't pick this up. It's way, like, I saw what they were going for is definitely going for, like, that Gossip Girl, like, vibe. But again, they, they it's the sexual elements that kind of, like, make it creepy, especially when it's, like, Sarah Michelle Gellar almost grooming this, like, clearly 18-year-old actor. Like, they cast an actual teen for a teenager this time. And I I did not like the woman they had for Annette's character. I was like, she looks nothing like Reese Witherspoon. I don't know why she's here. Luckily, she's only in half the pilot, but yep. And it's just a weird way to go. It was just a weird way. But I will say it is worth watching on YouTube. At least, like, the clip, the clips of them talking. Like, I the, the weird throwbacks, the weird, like, callbacks to the movie are there. So, um, it honestly had, like, a Footloose vibe. Like, you remember the, the remake of Footloose? Like, it's kind of how it starts because they're in, like, Kansas. So, you know, there's a hoedown going on for no reason. Um, but, yeah, that's, um, that's the weird uh, franchise history. Last question before we take our next break. Would you want to see this franchise continue in a movie or a show? I feel like you guys already answered this, but go ahead and think think on it a bit and tell me would you want to see a new version of cruel intentions in any way shape or form roderick no my stance is still the same you could just keep the original movie all right saria you know in seven years i think they can do a remake if i guess done very well like yeah in seven years i can see another one all right finally some optimism going into this (laughs) (laughs) uh nolan what about you would you want to see a new version of cruel intentions in any way shape or phone movie tv show i don't know if i want to see like a sequel or a prequel or something like that i guess like a like, like you said like a reimagining or like recreation of it could be pretty cool oh so like, a, be like where they go or like what they want to change about it yeah to make it like better i guess so like a, a i don't sh- know a she's all that to a he's all that hopefully it'll be better than she's all that like hopefully it'll be better than <laughs> He's all that. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I 100% would not trust Netflix with this property at all. Um, for I I thought about this all day because <laughs> I was like, this is an interesting, like, there's a cool story here. It's not the first, like, Cruel Attention is not the first adaptation of Dangerous Liaisons. Dangerous Liaisons is a movie on its own. It's a book. It's been adapted several different times throughout the years. It's just like, this is probably one of the most famous versions of the story. Because it's teen-centric and it's the 90s, you have these popular actors. But I realized, like, this entire movie in many, in, like, modern times has just become a plot line in many TV shows. <laughs> and so it's like, you don't necessarily need a remake because you can find this whole entire movie with the exception of the ending. Just, like, in a random teen-centric TV series. Like, this is the same, like, this exact plot of a couple, brother or sister you know or just a a really you know rich or popular couple in high school seeing a dumpy lower classman or dumpy person in their ranks and just decides to seduce them for no reason and one of them ends up falling in love with that person like that's 
in every at least i've noticed it's been everything but like specifically this plot line was used in both in the the show elite from on netflix i watch it his as a uh, spaniard drama murder mystery series but they used it in season one then they used it again with an actual brother and sister type of relationship in season two and then like glee has used this plot line many times especially throughout season one with quinn and finn and rachel and then at some point it was rachel santana and finn and they go on to quinn finn and puck like they've used this whole trifecta many different times it was used in both the new and old gossip girl series several times actually throughout that series um season two of riverdale dug into this plot line oddly enough it was with archie veronica and her dad so you know take that with what you will uh both seasons one and two of the fosters use this storyline of the secret relationship between stepbrother or foster brother and foster sister while the foster brother's like girlfriend uh is like orchestrating everything and it he ends up falling in love with his own foster sister like that's there and then euphoria euphoria has a different take on it it's more of a uh more of a uh, psychosexual type of social media type thing, but you know, it's it's clearly just Nate Jacobs, Maddie, and Cassie, like, or you know, even Nate Jacobs and his dad and Jules, like, it's the same kind of plot line, just different rewrites to it. But um, what I what I want to see a different version of this specific movie or story. I think you could. I think you could probably take the original novel and adapt it again, and it would work out well. Probably win an Oscar throw timothy chalamet in there you know it'll it'll win something or if i think uh but um if you want to like really if you want like a really good version a really stylized version of cruel intention specifically i think going towards euphoria would be a good shot going with sam levinson i think he would make a really interesting visually and probably much more modern version of this i will say uh that the euphoria one like with uh jules nate and maddie um and kyle that was the that was uh one that i could take more so if sam livy wants to i'm not gonna oppose um yeah like i was saying i'm not it's not something that i'm looking for but if it does happen i'll try it out i'll see what it looks like just to give it a try because you never know but historically, just my case has been with remakes or reboots. I'm usually averse to it. Yeah. But they're surprising, like Scream. Yes. Uh, Nolan, any thoughts? Uh, not really. No. <laughs> All right, no problem, no shame. <laughs> this is what I thought about. Uh, I just added that at the end there because I was like, eh, I can see Sam Levison doing a his using his style and his you, you know what he does in Euphoria as a way of pretty much like circling down on a private school i like private school dramas i mentioned that when we did you zarya like all the stuff Penn badgley was in in his earlier career was just like private school like dramas chucky season two is going to a private school so i'm super excited i don't know i just think like if you want to get out of high school but use like teenage characters still you can kind of get some leeway with like a private school or like a charter school or something like that because then it's it's privatized they're rich so you or state funded so you can kind of get away with the the you know shocking things teenagers tend to do or get depicted doing that's just my thoughts though um overall i think the movie is good where it is but we will discuss that in a moment but first we're going to take our last break you know 
You could be a model. It's too bad you're not sexy. <gasps> I can be sexy. You know what would be super duper sexy? If you lost all the clothes. Huh? I'm sick of sleeping with these insipid Manhattan debutantes. Ow! Nothing shocks them anymore. But you can relax. I have a mission for you. Why I Plan to Wait by Annette Hargrove. Paradigm of chastity and virtue. Introduce her to your world of sex, drugs, and what else do you do? She's young, supple. She'll be my greatest victory. You don't stand a chance. Care to make a wager on that? If I win, then that hot little car of yours, mine. And if I win? I'll give you something you've been obsessing about ever since our parents got married. Happy hunting, Sebastian. Ciao. Do you think you could arrange a little get-together? Hmm. Don't think this isn't going to cost you. God, you're beautiful. Boldly go where no man has gone before. People shouldn't experience the act of love until they are in love. Do you mind if I take my new car for a ride? I can't win with you. It's not about winning, Sebastian. Will you stop? It's okay, you can laugh. She's really getting you, isn't she? I'm completely infatuated with her. We're destroying an innocent girl, you do realize that. You're just a toy, Sebastian. Get it together. Let me know when you do. I thought we were just gonna be friends. Is she for real? Stop it. In the game of seduction, there is only one rule. Why can't we be together? Because I don't trust myself with you. Never fall in love. Are you in or are you out? Quite the predicament you're in. Cruel intentions. My advice is to sleep with as many people as possible. <laughs>So we're back. Let's talk about Cruel Intentions. Uh, Roderick, I know you've seen this movie before. Uh, Nolan, you told me you saw this movie before. Zaria, is this your first time watching this movie? It is my first time watching it, but it's not my first time hearing about it. Okay, so good, good. So kind of similar to how you saw uh, I Know You Did last summer. Yeah. All right, all right, all right. Well, we're gonna start with you, actually. What what are, what are your <laughs> overall thoughts on Cruel Intentions? I liked it. I did like the movie. I'm gonna start off by saying that I did enjoy the movie. Yay! Um, but once like the bet like took place, I was like, oh, I know how this is gonna go. Oh. They're gonna do the bet. He's going to act like he's trying to get to know her, but then in the middle of it, he's gonna actually want to be with her, and then. He has to bring up the bed or something's going to happen to where they where some rift happens and then they come together at the end. But the ending did surprise me. That's the only thing that surprised me. Yeah, I was about to say everything else I got correct. Yeah, I was about (laughs) to say, did you did you uh, did you predict death? (laughs) No, I did not. Because most stories that follow this formula, he doesn't die. (laughs) Exactly. Oh, man. Okay, uh, no one. I'm. you, again, you told me you saw this movie before, but rewatching it, what are your overall thoughts? I definitely like it. It's like a good drama. The ending was surprising in a bit, but I feel like the, I don't know, the overall like story uh, building up to all of it was very nice. And it's like introducing like, like a, a like it's like reduced to like a couple characters, which is really nice too in a drama. So 
So I don't know. All right, all right. And now you should break that up. Honestly, I would like to just see this reduced down to a stage play, honestly. Like, I think a stage play would do this story good. But anyway, uh, Roderick. I feel like rewatching it again, I ended up seeing it yesterday. And this is like my second time watching it, I think. And it's even better than the first time I watched it. Because when I had seen the film for the first time, I just remember seeing clips of it like online or just hearing the title Cruel Intentions and knowing that, okay, this is an iconic movie, but I just never dive in, diving in it for whatever reason. And then I ended up seeing it uh, later on, like when I was 20 or something. And then I was like, okay, this is actually really good. This is funny. The pacing is nice. In every scene, there's something to look out for or every scene, there's just a, a line that really sticks with you. So it, it just, it rose up in my favorite rank. And then watching it again made me love it even more. Yes, same with me. We have very similar stories. Uh, I had to be like 19, 20 when I first watched this. It just was like a summer. It was just like one of those random like late summer nights. I probably just got done cleaning and this kids are asleep. So I'm like not yet sleepy yet. And like just looking for something to watch. And boom, it just happened to be on television. And ended up being sucked in and just loving it uh man i this is also like my this is like my fourth time watching this movie because for some reason i have a a very obsessive personality and so when i watched it i was like i'm gonna watch it again and watched it again i did and i'm also you know shout out i mean this is a podcast so people can't see but i also have the t-shirt yeah bought it from target because i was working at target around the time i watched this but yeah um man cruel intentions here are my overall thoughts i love this movie this movie is like iconic in the best ways this movie has some of the best elements that i love we've been kind of going over it you know i mentioned it when we did towns of mr ripley same kind of stuff i was talking about when we did uh jesse james and robert ford same kind of stuff i was talking about with uh hannibal like i i talk about this theme a lot of just like that <laughs> that very thin line of moral ambiguity and here it's very boiled down to sex <laughs> uh or i should say premarital teenage sex and so this is just really really like interesting of a movie when you want to boil it down to those aspects but overall as a movie it's i think it's great i think this movie is very entertaining it's it's got so it, it the pace is really fast like when i watch this movie i'm like oh this is gonna take a while isn't it and then it, it went by really fast like you could watch this on repeat and be fine let let's get into it here so the movie starts with just how every 90s movie started with landscape rock music and then we're in new york and we get introduced to sebastian and his notebook and his classic car which kind of sets up the which is kind of just epic foreshadowing of the end of the movie if you think about it but uh, we really meet Sebastian in his therapy session here and him and his therapist who are both not good people. <laughs> what therapist sells you her book? Like that's not professional, <laughs> at least during like office hours. But um, and Sebastian is clearly hitting on his therapist and we get probably the one of the most epic cameos in film history i would say at least like 90 tara freaking reed <laughs> as her the therapist daughter and right away we get introduced to sebastian as a flirtatious uh manipulator sex sexually heated person who is also a player because he 
that we get the really great slow reveal of him having seduced his daughter, his therapist's daughter, and then posted her nudes online, essentially. Which, man, the for the '90s, he made he had to make a whole website just to post her nudes. So you know, be grateful in the age you live in now. But also, like the amount of work and effort, gotta have gotta have to applaud it. <laughs> but I do feel bad for this this clearly underage woman who is just now you know ruined because of the internet and i i I like this opening scene because it just i'll say right now i love sebastian um i just love ryan (laughs) Philippi. like i mentioned that i like this character he's my favorite character in uh i know you did last summer but like here's where he submitted his like oh yeah i'm a i'm a fan of this actor he's just such an asshole especially in the first half of this movie and i just love it but I'm shifting it over to you guys. Roger, you can kick us off. What are your thoughts on Sebastian, how we introduced to him and his character? I mean, yeah, I have the exact same thoughts. He's the guy that, you know, you love to hate. And then you just, you automatically get the idea that there's an insincerity in just the way that he conveys his, like, opening parts. He's like, oh, and I'm just, I feel so terrible. What do I do to the therapist? But clearly he's just hamming it up. And it's like, okay, so the sarcasm is going to be very overt in this film, especially with this character. So already off the bat, for me, I was like, yeah, I'm going to like this. I'm going to like this a lot. And then when it's, you know, revealed that he's sleeping with the therapist's daughter and he kind of does this whole evil manipulative thing it's like it just sets the pace for the film already off on a high note because i remember the first time watching it it's just seeing the opening scene with the therapist you know therapy scenes they kind of they act almost as a transition in a film like they happen and then kind of more later on you know you get you just get introduced to everything but having everything happen in this office and then immediately go off from zero to a hundred just takes it up to a different level so it was just awesome it kind of just sets up how his character is and like it's like from the like from in that first five minutes or that first scene it's like okay so this is sebastian like (laughs) like if he had like a voiceover like hi my name is sebastian in my life it's kind of crazy. <laughs> like, that would totally fit it. I will say, though, the daughter got me when she was like, you put me on hold? I was like, oh, my gosh. Yes. So I, oh, gosh. Like, I'm sorry that you were put on hold for a hot minute. I'm so sorry. But, yeah, no. Um, but, yeah, from the it, that first scene told you how Sebastian is. I love Tara Reid on the phone. Just... <laughs> And then the therapist being like, wait a fucking minute. You've got killer legs. Yeah. I mean, it sets up his character really well. He doesn't know he's like a cunning player who, I mean, he just completely destroys this girl's life in like literally seconds. <laughs> and insults the therapist pretty much with all the, I mean, she was a horrible person, but like, aiming for the daughter that was very low. But I mean, you just, you just hate, you just automatically just either, either hate the character or just like, you don't even know what to do, I guess. It's such a weird situation to start out with, especially for the first five minutes in a film. Yes, the the <laughs> first five minutes. <laughs> but wait, that's an interesting question. Do we, do we hate Sebastian? Do we love Sebastian? Nolan, what, do you have a, a definitive answer? It's kind of like a redemption arc for him by the end, but I definitely hated his, I didn't like, mm, 
I definitely didn't like his character. I don't know if I'd say mm, it's a very like close to hate. <laughs> definitely, but I just didn't. I just I strongly disliked his character. Yeah, because like technically he is our protagonist, and it's not all. It's not you know even nowadays it's not often you get a protagonist that's a horrible person at the beginning of the movie. Uh, this first scene does not help. As the movie went on. I started to like him more because he started to actually, I don't know, I guess become more human than just like a manipulator. And he actually like kind of showed that he does, he can care for somebody. What about you, Roderick? Kind of in between, like with this opening scene, I definitely felt like what he did was super grimy, super slime. But at the same time, it's intriguing watching because it's like, okay, if a guy who's supposed to be our main guy, it's supposed to be our protagonist is already starting off like this. How are they going to progress? Are they going to get worse? You know? So it, for me, opened up just an idea of mystery and intrigue and wanted to know where he would go with that. And then throughout the film, like y'all were saying, you know, he has his redemption moment. So it makes him feel more human and it makes me like him better. But then at the same time, overall, he's still a player and he still takes part and has, or well, took part in destroying people's lives. So it's like, how can you really, you know, say that he's awesome or he's good? It's it's hard to tell. Oh, man. See, this is where I feel bad because I love him from the start of the movie. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Lord. I don't know why. I remember sitting and be like, this guy's awesome. And then, like, having to, like, step back and be like, this guy is literally sexually assaulting people. <laughs> And it's like, ah, oh, man, now I can't think like that. But, like, I, I don't know. There's something about this character. It's like, I want to be that when I, like, I don't know. Okay, separating from what he does as a character. You might want to edit this part out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm thinking, like, <laughs> oh, man. Okay, as a character, I like his attitude. I like the way he carries himself. I like his, like, everyone in this movie speaks like they're in, like, you know, William Shakespeare days. Like, <laughs> I look. Okay, real quick. I had some notes on this film, but I wrote the exact same thing down. The yes. dialogue is so Shakespearean. Like, it's crazy. But continue. But yeah, yeah no, that's that's the, my thing. Because, like, uh, if you remember what I mentioned last week on uh, watching Dawson's Creek, I've been rewatching, or not rewatching, but I've been watching Dawson's Creek. The dialogue is similar there where they use really big vocabulary. And here they use really, it's not big vocabulary, but they use very stylized sentences in how yeah. they speak and how they inflect it. So it comes off as high class, uh, which I think is more of a, a callback to the original text. But, like, yeah, like <laughs> the way he acts it's like wow this guy is awesome but then like what he does is like so horrible but i can't like you know i i tend to like asshole characters a lot anyway but like this guy is like right up there like right up there i don't think he's as problematic as nate jacobs but he's pretty pretty bad he's pretty toxic dude but like still like the way he ends this entire scene with her yelling at him at the window and he just immediately goes on to the next girl and it's like man uh, man i don't know i i kind of like sebastian <laughs> shameless <laughs> yeah it's like wow i feel it dirty but like mm, i feel like that younger brother who's like wow you're so cool it doesn't know his older brother kills people for a living like oh my god <laughs> that's that's my analogy i'm gonna keep that in um but moving forward um we have we introduced to cecile and Catherine and mrs caldwell another fantastic scene that i absolutely love and think about 
daily. This whole, like, right off the bat, we're just filled with sexual innuendos. And, like, uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar as Catherine is giving these, like, like clearly bullshit, like, um, responses to the uh, Mrs. Caldwell's questions. But, it's like, she sells it in a way. <laughs> and it's like, wow, like, the audience knows she's bullshitting, but, like, we can see why people believe her. And I just, I love her and I love Cecile and how they're introduced. I like the fact that throughout the entire time, <laughs> Cecile looks like an eight-year-old. Like, she, she seems like a child throughout the movie. Right, let's start with Catherine because she's our secondary, or she's really the antagonist of the movie. I really believe she's a psychopath because I don't think she has one genuine emotion in her body. She can play you, in my opinion, better than Sebastian can because she feeds on what you want her, on what like you think you want her to feel, and she will perform it. Whether it's trying to get somebody to do something uh, through, like, sexual emotion. She plays, um, as we see in, like, the later scenes or, like, one of the last scenes, she plays uh, the distressed person very well. She can play the very best friend super freaking well and hate you and be plotting against you. And I'm kind of sad to say that I actually liked her character a lot. See, see what I mean? I'm not the only one. Yeah, I actually really liked her. She got the story going. She brought the drama. And then her little side scheme was pretty thought out and kind of foolproof. <laughs> she also brought the looks, too. I liked all of her outfits. Oh, yeah. Yes. It's... I love Michelle, uh, I love Sarah Michelle Gellar with brown hair. Like, her blonde hair is iconic. And then also her red hair is Daphne. But her as a brunette? love it yes oh man yeah she 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 delivers in this movie um before i get to my thoughts uh roderick what about you what do you think about Catherine? i think and this may be controversial because one i haven't seen all of her films but i've seen a lot of them because i enjoy sarah michelle geller but i think probably her best role because she was able to like zari was saying just embody so many just archetypes that you see of that woman like smart and she's a leader but then at the same time has this real seductive and just evil thing and she's just very just i don't know she's so smart she's so aware she's so cunning she's she's everything in this film she was my absolute favorite character and i like how you know you're introduced to her and she has on like her pearls or whatever and she's like oh yeah i know exactly what i'm talking about i'll put you under my wing kind of this big sister vibe and then immediately she snaps into like this oh god you know i hate everything super sarcastic i everybody's a pawn and i'm just the big wolf in the whole stable it's ah it's amazing it's amazing yes yes man uh nolan what about you what do you think about sarah michelle geller as Catherine? she's got like those like succubus kind of vibes you know what I'm saying? yeah yeah <laughs> like she has like the whole cross and everything but then she's like the complete opposite of like faithful she's just like she's the most deceitful one out of everyone in this i think yeah the entire film pretty much yeah i mean in the end with everything happening i'd say she's, she's just, like, one of two sorry i didn't mean to interrupt but i'll, I'll say she's one of good. two evil characters like purely evil and I, I love who the second one is but i'll bring that up later just a little tease but go ahead you're right she's just purely deceit and chaos essentially for the and she just drives the film that's what Zara was saying i mean it's just like <laughs> you you love to hate her character because like the actor and her just like her whole storyline everything like that is just so like 
a huge driving force for the film. Yes, yes. And you know, Roderick, you brought up an interesting point that I, I didn't think about, but like out of all of the performances, we've talked a lot about Sarah Michelle Gellar on this podcast. Uh, you know, Zarya brought up Scooby Doo. We love Scooby Doo. Um, we talked about her in The Grudge last year. Um, Scream Two. Yes, Scream Two was Roderick's first episode. Um, we also talked about. I know you did last summer, last week, and I, I do think this is probably her best performance. Uh, out of retweet S. The only one I would put above that is scream 2 because i think she does a really good job of being more natural in scream 2 but here she's clearly playing a character and the reason i say that is how i you know determine most actors who lose themselves in a role in scream 2 she's cc but she's she's buffy to most people but she's also sarah michelle geller and the only other character i lose her in is in daphne (laughs) but other than that Catherine seems to be like Catherine, like she's not just Sarah Michelle Gellar, she's clearly Catherine, and I think this is her best performance. She didn't really do Thank much you. in the grudge, um, now that I think about it. But I liked her. Like she has she's she's an actress that has a lot of great moments in other movies. Scream two, she has a great chase scene. We discussed her amazing chase scene, and I know you did last summer, but this one here, this is this is it. This is her like, you know, this is her calling card, I, I would say. Which is weird because she's mostly famous for being a hero. Uh, like everything you guys said and all like she is just purely evil i love the fact that she snorts cocaine out of the cross and the question is where do we find that cross <laughs> because could it also blow bubbles like that's all I, <laughs> that's all i was really thinking like what if she just like pulled it out and just blew bubbles instead of snorting the cocaine that would be in awesome. another universe there'd yes. be a parody movie with that exact same part yes i was just thinking the exact same thing like a parody movie would have her do bubbles yes and i think there is like um have you guys ever seen not another teen movie yeah uh, yeah yeah that's, so that's with um what's his name chris, chris evans evans chris yeah evans. Yes, I think Catherine is the villain of that in that movie. I, I've only seen it once, and I this movie they take a lot from a lot of those uh, movies. Mainly, can't hardly hardly wait, and she's all that. But I believe they used the character as Catherine as the main villain, and I don't know. It, I don't think she blows bubbles, but she does something else with the cross, and it, they 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 cast like a Sarah Michelle Gellar lookalike. But I would look that up because that one I think it's a really funny movie that's still kind of like if you enjoy like teen tropes and shit especially if in like uh, the 90s and like early 80s because one awesome cameo by molly ringwald at the end where she's a flight attendant what i remember from that movie is the bring it on parody yes i was just like oh my gosh (laughs) i remember when they sold the tears that scene alone will get that movie canceled in today's world yes but it's so funny it is hilarious no but it is hilarious oh man shout out to that i, I, I want to rewatch that now but um anyway back to this one yeah Catherine's amazing amazingly evil but uh going back to your point zarya with her being like this pure psychopath she orchestrates the entire movie on like four different levels like every plot point is through her and it's like jesus and I, like two of these plot points are very unnecessary <laughs> like, she didn't have to do anything but like so just to kind of break it down getting into the bet and everything so her and sebastian who clearly have this like sexual attraction to each other for reasons 
what is the reason of their sexual attraction? They're just horny for each other, or is there more of a is there more of a mind game going on here? I mean, I wish they kind of showed more like their past. I feel like they they could have added some of that to the movie to understand that better. But uh, she just puppeteers and manipulates everything. I think she manipulated pretty much everyone in the film, except for Annette, maybe. But she just brings up like the worst in people. I think you can see it with like every single character. I mean, Sebastian, um, what's his name, Ronald, <laughs> and then uh, Cecile. Bit, I guess, but mostly those two. Cecile the most. <laughs> Poor Cecile. We'll get to Cecile. Poor Cecile. <laughs> Bless her heart. Um, <laughs> uh, Roderick, what it what 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 do you think is going on between Catherine and Sebastian? What's what do you think is their whole deal and why they're attracted to each other? I think well, they talk a little bit about it during the bet. How she was saying, you know, Sebastian, I would be the grand prize of what you would want to attain just because you simply can't have me. And I think that's the part again with her mind game that she just really plays into. It's the taboo of them being siblings, which makes it even more like, Ooh, but what if we, and then the fact that she's so unwilling to just submit to him and just dangle the character in front of him the whole time, which creates that tension all the time is probably why it just feels like it's, it's going to happen, but it doesn't. It's just so close giggity just wanted to throw that in there <laughs> yeah <laughs> but yeah all right dangling the carrot again the sexual innuendos that can be made zarya what do you think is you know zarya is our resident uh, official unofficial law enforcement and psychological psychoanalysis major <laughs> what what is your uh, take on both Catherine and sebastian and their whole uh what is what do you what's your take on their relationship with each other Picking back off of what Roderick had said, um, I think um, with on Sebastian's end, it's like Sebastian can get any girl he wants. And so getting that, I think for him, it's the actual achievement of getting the girl. And then on Catherine's end, calling back to what I said earlier, like she like she knows that that uh, he's attracted to her. And I think her attraction comes from the cat and mouse game she's a mouse that uh this cat cannot get and so that kind of feeds into it more and so she it's like i think power having power over somebody is what attracts her and so she uh, so she knows that she has this thing over sebastian of him wanting her and so she feeds into it and see i'm glad you brought that up because this is why i said at the beginning like i know this is not a thriller but I would throw this in with those like, and I have like a secret like factuation and I, I could just be a horny freak. But like in the 90s, there was just these string early, 90s, early 2000s where there's just a string of like sexual erotic thrillers. But it's all they all happen to star Michael Douglas for some reason. But like uh, if you don't, don't know that, who if you don't know who that is, Hank Pym, Ant-Man, um, Michael Douglas. But. I don't know why, but I would count that in there because they they lean so heavily, at least in the first half of this movie, into that like structure where it's like you know, um, you know, basic instinct or um, cruel, cruel intentions, basic instinct, fatal attraction, um, the boy next door. If you remember that movie with Jennifer Lopez, um, there's so many hand that rocks the cradle, um, like. I guess like lifetime movies, but like single white female 
which is not a good movie, but I will still throw that in there. Um, like, there's just so many of, like, these weird, like, sexual, like, um, and they're all about power. Because, and I know specifically the one I was thinking about while you were talking, Zarya, was Disclosure. One of the worst movies I've ever seen, but it was so entertaining. <laughs> it's Michael Douglas and Mandy Moore. And essentially, the whole entire movie, Mandy Moore is sexually torturing Michael Douglas because he accidentally cheats on his wife with her. <laughs> you know, back in the 90s, it was an accident like the men were never wrong for some reason <laughs> but he accidentally gets uh sec- cheats on his wife and is it, like they touch on a little bit because he's sexually assaulted by her but she's her but she's his boss and so he can't do anything so she does this weird like mind game kind of like Catherine, where she gets coincidentally an asian woman were arrested and i think killed much like how Catherine gets ronald into uh arrested and in i'm gonna assume killed because it's not looking good for homie but um it's it's just such a weird thing they do here and i'm like i don't know why i just have a factuation with that like that i love a good mind game and i love a good sexual mind game i just just me I, and I think they play it really well here. And I, the Catherine is the epitome of that. She's not as crazy as like the women in Fatal Attraction, or she's a sort of sort of there with Basic Instinct. Basic Instinct is wild. We're gonna do that one day. We have to because it is a, uh, it is a trippy movie. But um, it is just it's such a weird way, especially when like you apply it to murder. But like this one, their teenagers are not gonna murder each other at least directly. But this is just so interesting, and I just I clearly obsessed with it because I can't stop talking about it. Anyway, moving forward to one of my favorite characters, and I was watching this movie because the whole time I was like. I know this is Selma Blair. I I know this is Cecile. I get the comedy. But why is this character so familiar to me? And it was always in the faces she was making. And it clicked for me like right when um cat when right when she when her mom finds out about her and Ronald. And I'm like, oh my god. And I don't want to offend anyone. I mean this in the in the most nicest way possible. But the whole time Catherine was like gaslighting Cecile, I was like, why does she remind me of Roderick? <laughs> I don't know why, but Cecile reminds me a lot of you, Roderick. What? <laughs> I don't... Are you calling me a dunce? No, but like, oh my God, it was just like <laughs> the whole time I was watching it, I was like, why does she remind me of Roderick? It was mainly just her, the way she reacts to things and just the dramaticness of it was had me dying sometimes i was just like this is roderick this is a female version of roderick and i'm going to stand I by that ended no i it did is not a, take it's, that it's a compliment i swear uh-uh, uh-uh. see i thought what you were gonna say was she reminded you of somebody because she was in the other she was in the movie uh legally blonde with annette aka reese witherspoon was she just that? a few years later yeah yeah she, she was, played- she was uh- it was the girl that took her boyfriend or that her boyfriend got with after they broke up really i need to rewatch that movie now because like all i remember selma blair was or all i remember selma blair being in was this movie in hellboy and i like this movie a lot more a lot more than hellboy <laughs> oh my god she, she was in that movie she just kind of stands on fire in that movie and gets kissed but like <laughs> at least she sets a kid on fire but like she yeah that's all i remember. Oh, wow <laughs> that's all i remember selma blair being in was this in hellboy <laughs> i don't remember her from anything else but apparently she was in legally blonde so I, I need to rewatch that. 
but yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I just every every facial expression she was making, I was like, "This is Roderick. This just feels like Roderick to me." Oh wow, I did not and get I that at all. I have to, yeah, I gotta analyze this. Anyway, uh, what do we think about Cecile? Because I love her. I think she's again. She a lot of the comedy comes from her when, especially with her and Sebastian, because when they first meet. Again, the sexual innuendos, but this took me out. I laughed out loud and I laughed hard. But she goes like, he goes, cute shirt, and she goes, my father took me to to a trip, uh, took me on a trip to Australia. He yeah. goes, oh really? How are things down under? Blossoming, I hope. And he does a little lean. Her legs are wide. <laughs> yes. And then <laughs> later, <laughs> the scene ends with her mom being like, close your legs. This is in Jamaica, which is clearly a racist comment. But I couldn't help but laugh because. I was like, why? Oh my god, that was just a, a hilarious moment for me. It was just, I hope things are. How are things down under? Blossoming, I hope. And I was like, oh my god, her legs are just spread out. But um, how do we feel about Cecile in this movie? You're just <laughs> so gullible. She's just not fit for the movie. Like, like she is, but like, she's just too easy to manipulate. It's just too easy for her, especially with. What's her name? Guiding the entire show. Yes. Catherine. Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. It felt so bad for Cecilia because she knew nothing. <laughs> Never had a chance. That poor sweet cinema role. I think she's super duper funny, but clearly oblivious to everything going around. I do like her character placement though, because she is just so wildly just unaware of everything to the point that it just makes it super funny. You can't help but think, oh, God, here it goes. But she has some of the best scenes because she's just unaware of how things are going right over her head the whole time. Yes. Like, I'm assuming she's supposed to be like, what, 16 at the least, at the most? But she's or she's, something, yeah. She's supposed, but she plays it like she's eight years old. Like, she seems like a 10 year old girl. I'm like, this feels wrong. But also, I enjoy that she knows nothing about actual life. <laughs> Uh, Zarya, what about you? What do you think about Cecile? She's like dangerously socially <laughs> awkward. Like not like she's too much of an easy prey. It's not even fair anymore. And, <laughs> and anytime, like anytime Catherine did something, I was just like, girl, no. Like was she homeschooled or went to like an all girls school or something? I don't know. Yeah, her but, mom at the beginning is like, oh, she's never been when she asked about the boy, she's like, she hasn't been in a co-ed uh, social environment before. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's... No, she needed to be in a co-ed social environment a long time ago because she will. She just believes anything. And that's... No, you don't know. Yes, even when she questions it, she's like, oh, well, okay, I guess that makes sense. And I'm like, no! She doesn't question it, <laughs> My <too> girl. <laughs> I she does not question it things too long i'm just like no keep questioning it follow <laughs> that your gut instinct keep questioning all this please oh, man man oh man i just crack it up that you the first word out of your mouth was dangerously because <laughs> it's true she is dangerous to her and the community <laughs> real quick can we talk about her mom though when i saw her again for the second time i was like miss martha may yes i didn't think the of <laughs> i thought about the grinch i was like oh man she's much better in the grinch than this movie because she was much more nicer in that one <laughs> and well, let's so funny. She, she, right she still has that same like aspect in her voice it's like 
kind of condescending, very rich, just holier than thou almost. Yes. Oh, yeah. Definitely less racist because this woman here is like if Jordan Peele based anything on Get Out, it's definitely this woman. Because she was all over the place with all the, her comments. Like again, the we, what? <laughs> <laughs> brown sugar? No, no, no sugar. <laughs> I got you off the street, ma'am. I live. I live <laughs> <laughs> He's going to freaking Juilliard. Yes. <laughs> got me off the street. Leave me alone. I was so dead. It's just her when she finds the uh the notes. She's like <laughs> when she finds the note, she's like, Where'd you find that? Uh what she called the maid? She was Margarita. Clean. Margarita was cleaning. And I'm like, I doubt that's her real name. But <laughs> just just so dismissive. Oh man, uh, oh god, that whole entire scene. But yeah, I like the bomb. Honestly, I like Caldwell. I, wait, um, wait, wait! You've forgotten one of the super duper cool Easter egg moments. So they make the bet by Catherine saying, "Hey, I bet you can't win over this girl." This girl being someone. So she ends up slamming the Vogue magazine down on a table, and she's like, "I bet you can't get this girl," who turns out to be Annette. But on the cover of the magazine is Jennifer Love Hewitt, aka her co-star from. I know what you did last summer with yes. Ryan Philippe, who was also in that movie. Yes. I thought that was cute. Okay, that was pretty cool. I did. Yeah, I noticed that. I knew the, the girl in the magazine looked familiar, but um, yeah, I oh man, and yeah, I know you did last summer would come out a year before this. Um, man, oh man, that that's great. I it went by me. I didn't write it down, but I did notice that she looked familiar. But yeah, that's cool. Um, because also I mentioned when we did that, that, uh, it was around, I know you did that summer that Ryan Philippi and Reese Witherspoon started dating and they eventually got married and I believe they have like two kids together, but they have since divorced. Um, but you know, there's that, that little history there. We'll get to, I'm, I'm saving Reese Witherspoon for last, last because I just, I love her so much, but, um, okay. So yeah. So, um, getting into the actual bet here. Jesus Christ. They're, because their bed is intertwined with Catherine's like side plots and it's so confusing. But essentially, and just you know, interrupt me if I'm wrong or whatever, I'm missing something. But so essentially Catherine asks Sebastian to seduce Cecile because Cecile is dating uh Catherine's ex boyfriend who dumped her on the fourth of July for Cecile. And because Catherine's an evil bitch, she just wants to ruin this girl's life, which means putting up with her, taking her under her wing while she secretly like stabs her boyfriend. And so Sebastian's like, I'll do it. No, he's, he denies doing that because he wants to seduce Annette, which is their new headmaster's daughter who's coming up from Kansas City to east the upper east side of new york because you know people do that and apparently there's rich people in kansas city i didn't know that well hey <laughs> i mean where y'all at like <laughs> um but so he's like let's do that and so the the bet that they make which oh my god sebastian has to bed annette before the end of before the summer ends like that's the timeline and he and if he does that, then he gets to sleep with Catherine because step siblings. <laughs> but if he doesn't and, and if Catherine wins, she gets to have his car. Now, I'm not a mathematician, <laughs> but, you know, 
step siblings body versus a new car either way Catherine's getting the better end of this deal because <laughs> like i don't know I, as a as a dude i don't know if if that's worth risking when he has such a nice car i love his car his car is amazing and the fact that like he doesn't realize that she would get the car anyway like early on kind of like disturbs me a little bit like she she's very cunning and so the reason i say it's confusing and again interrupt me if i'm wrong but it's confusing because Catherine has like two side plots going on at the same exact time <laughs> because she's not only trying to ruin cecile or backstab her boyfriend get back at her boyfriend by turning cecile into a slut but she also decides to seduce Ronald, which is who Cecile really likes. So the Cecile is cheating on her boyfriend with Ronald and Ronald is cheating on Cecile with Catherine. And that's all a ploy for Catherine. It's, it's just a moment for Catherine to use Ronald to get back at Sebastian as a backup plan in case he ends up falling for Annette, which she predicted somehow. Do I have that right, or am I just tangled in in the plot of this movie? I think the last part might be a little tangled. Jesus Christ! I think she just slept with Ronald just because. I don't know if it was. For I do think Ronald was probably an opportunity. Like, uh, she's she, like she saw an opening and took it, and then it furthered her plans. Uh, I remember pretty much all of it, but I don't remember her ever like getting like talking with Ronald that much throughout the film. But I mean, obviously, she's just really good at seducing people. But I find it ironic that, like, and okay, can we talk about the end right now a bit, or no? Should yeah. I wait until the end. Oh. Um, when she makes, when she makes like a call saying like for Ronald to go help her, I don't want to give away too much. But uh, she pretty much tells um him that Sebastian was cheating on Ronald, or was cheating was like, well, I haven't. Oh, she told Ron. She told Sebastian. She told Ronald that Sebastian, like, did whatever he did with Ce- Cecile, and he got super mad, and yet he just slept with Catherine while he was in bed with Cecile. Oh, man. That... It, just, it makes no sense. Yeah, like he cares or something. Yes! Yep. <laughs> the minute he jumped out of bed to go fight for this woman, it's just like, first of all, how old is Ronald? Because, like... Oh, he's going to Juilliard, so he has to be, like, 18. And, again, Cecile is going into high school, so she's got to be at the least 15 or 16, maybe? I'd... 11 going on 16. Yeah, like, she's very young. <laughs> she's She's been very sheltered as a, as a young lady, but man, oh, man. So, um, just to kind of, like, you know, wrap everything up, everyone's a side of everyone, and everyone's backstabbing everyone, essentially. <laughs> and I love it. That's so- rich and powerful man oh man it's it this is gossip girl this is early season one gossip girl vibes like i loved it i loved the the drama of it all it none of it really makes that much sense like i've said like Catherine is evil but like a lot of this stuff was very unnecessary and did not need to happen but she did it anyway because she could and i appreciate that because we get like three of these scenes where Catherine and sebastian are talking and flirting with each other which all great scenes because i think much like in i know you did last summer sarah michelle geller and ryan Phillippe have really great chemistry with each other like they play off each other really well 
Um, it's just that the roles are reversed. In this one, she's yelling at him. While in, I know he did last summer, he was always yelling at her. And I'd love the scene where it's like, it's, I don't know if you guys notice it or not, but essentially he, he comes back with the number from the girl he saw at the mall. And at that moment where he whips out the number and talks about the girl, uh, Sarah Michelle Geller, <laughs> Catherine snorts cocaine from her little cross and then uses the napkin where the number is on it to wipe her nose and then like tosses it aside. And I was like, that is perfect. That's great. Yeah. Oh, man. But yeah, the sibling back and forth is really great. Um, so she gets into the whole backstory about her ex-boyfriend, <laughs> which is Charlie o Charlie O'Connell. I don't know if you guys recognize him. I mean, I I don't think you would recognize him, but he's Jerry O'Connell's brother. If you don't remember him, he was uh, Derek in Scream Two, Sydney's boyfriend, who turned out to not be the killer. Another crossover. Yes, although I don't think Jer Charlie O'Connell has done much more than Jerry O'Connell. But you know, nice that the familiar faces are here. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so kind of driving the second act of this movie, uh, Sebastian realizes that or when he finally he finally meets Annette and we're going to get like I said, we're going to get to uh, Reese Witherspoon. But he meets Annette and he finds out that someone she find, he finds out that she has heard about his reputation and she doesn't trust him. She doesn't want to be around him. She's been told to stay away from him. And so this launches a little mini mystery of, well, who has been talking to Annette? Who is this person? And we get to one of my favorite parts of the movie. He finds out that Annette has been talking to someone and someone told her or wrote her because everyone writes letters in this movie. No one sent a text message. And apparently, yeah, <laughs> like, you know, I was surprised there wasn't a carrier pigeon at some point, but, um, he he finds out that someone has told her in advance that to stay away from Sebastian. So he goes on his little mini mission to figure out who that is. And that leads him to, I'm assuming, his best friend slash drug dealer, which is Blaine, which love the fact that his name was Blaine. But it's Joshua Jackson. I love Joshua Jackson. You know, um, again, Dawson's Creek. I'm watching that now is Pacey, but again, Scream 2 reference, he was in the classroom with Cece and Randy, and he was one of the guys talking about James Cameron's sequels. Uh, I don't know if you guys recognized him or not. He has, like, really blonde hair in this in this, in this this scene. Um, but yeah, Blaine. I I wish this movie had more of Blaine. I, I wish Joshua Jackson was in this movie more because he steals the show, in my opinion, but... Apparently he he said he uh, comes to the conclusion of that it could be Annette's best friend, which he just so happens to be sleeping with, which is Gregory or Greg, who is just this this like I guess college football player in back in Kansas who's also in New York City at some point, and I just love this entire sequence because they talk about him and they set up their their own little cruel intentions. There's the title as they try to trap this guy into getting more information or getting revenge but um backing it up a bit because i've talked enough what do you guys think about uh blaine here in this joshua jackson in this role and the whole plot between him sebastian and gregory or greg i keep saying gregory because i just love that line where he's like oh sure i'll just call him dials number gregory and i just i just love that part but um uh roderick what do you think about this whole little side plot here i think if we're going back to what you had said earlier with the podcast, this character, Blaine, must be the second evil person from the film. Yes. <laughs> yes. Because the way that the blackmail... Okay, so, like, 
I don't even know how to explain it. So the blackmail goes, what you were just saying, Gregory is supposedly the confidant that tells Annette about Sebastian's just reputation, which puts a fork in Sebastian's plans from the beginning. So in order for them to stop it, Blaine suggests that Gregory must be the, you know, informant. So they intend to blackmail him. But it turns out that he's not even a part of the case. And Blaine was just using him for his own, I don't know, revenge, blackmail, whatever. Yes. And it's just like, it's it's messed up. It's terrible. I love it. <laughs> I was like, oh, he just does it for shits and gigs. Okay. <laughs> like, and just is filing his nails too when they're like caught in bed and Gregory's like crying over being outed. He's like, oh, that's so terrible. But you're my boy toy. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Delicious. I love Joshua Jackson in all like the five minutes he's in this movie. Uh, Zarya, what'd you think about this whole side plot with uh the mystery of who is uh? Annette's informant. It just further proves that the rich are evil and powerful. <laughs> because, like, you just outed this man, like, yes, to one person, but you still outed him before he wanted to be outed. And uh, all just because you were probably tired of being, like, his little secret. You could have just left him, left him alone. But no, <laughs> you had to toy with him. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. No one, what about you? Do you have any thoughts? I think it's one of those moments where, like, I feel like in most dramas, we have, like, the football players always being, like, in charge or, like, having, like, the the dirt, I guess, on people. But in this, it's kind of, like, flipped, and he's just kind of in the situation of just, like, being blackmailed. It's such, like, a horrible situation because he has to, like, turn on, like, a friend, too. And it's, like, one of those things where he kind of has to do it. I mean, especially, like, when the film was made, I like, yeah. revealing your sexuality as being gay was pretty hard, so... Yeah, late nineties. Yeah, late. Yeah, in the late nineties, we're okay with lesbians, but gay boys, absolutely not. Yeah, it was just terrible being, you know, gay in the nineties. But there's a whole lesbian kiss in the movie. That's ironic. <laughs> an awarded, yeah. an awarded lesbian kiss, I should say. Well, uh, actually, we're gonna get to that scene next. Yeah, I was gonna say, did we ever figure out who, like, actually, what the informant was? Yes. So, um, it turns out. <laughs> That uh, and again, it's because they they end up using Greg as a or the Gregster because he calls himself that for some reason, as a as a way to not only talk up Sebastian to Annette but to get to find out who wrote her that letter, and it turns out it was Mrs. Caldwell, Cecile's mom. I, I like that twist. I like the fact that it was just this like clearly forty year old racist woman telling <laughs> writing letters to an eighteen year old or seventeen year old girl, being like, "Stay away from this boy," and going out of her way to write a whole letter. <laughs> like that. That took some time. That took at least an hour. I do like that walking on the beach scene with them though. But again, the the Gregster that 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 cracked me up. His light. Did y'all notice his license plate said that too? There's a scene where, like, Sebastian, right before he walks in into the house, he, like, rips off a sticker off of the bumper, but the license plate says The Gregster, which I don't even know. Oh, I didn't even know. I didn't catch that. Oh, my God. I Like, I didn't even know the license plate could do that. Like, I, I but that, that was, uh, that was funny. So, shifting over into, again, probably the most iconic scene of this movie, which is the awarded lesbian kiss. I say that because this is whenever the MTV awards need a boost in ratings, they will always vote that they this was the this was awarded best kiss that one year when this movie came out. Um, but yeah, it's Cecile and uh, Catherine are in the park, 
and <laughs> Catherine is putting her plans in motion by sowing the seeds of self-doubt in Cecile, and she ends up teaching Cecile how to kiss because she finds out about Ronald. I love this scene. I did say that Sarah Michelle Gellar outfits in this movie are amazing. This is the only one I disagree with because this has to be like what mid August. It's hot as hell. She's wearing a full on u- a funeral attire, <laughs> <laughs> black hat, church skirt, black blazer. I'm like, what is she doing? I know she's burning up in that. It just showed how far she's willing to go to make sure that this plan works and nothing goes wrong yeah this is one of my favorite scenes too i just love the fact like you were saying it's mid-august or i don't know july and just hot new york and she's wearing all black with this hat just sitting down like she's the coolest person ever and one thing about that just like the fashion choice i really like how because she's in all black and if you're using color theory you can kind of see like it's obvious that she's just the antagonist the antithesis antithesis to Cecile's just wholesome character, but Cecile is super blinded by it and she has no idea. So just that color dynamic was really cool for me. And then I have here in some notes, two things that stood out for me in that scene. One, when Cecile overhears, no, when Cecile is explaining how she had got her boyfriend by him dumping this bulimic head, AKA it being Catherine and Catherine like yanks on her head while she's doing her hair. I thought that scene was super duper funny. And then, Right. And then after the kiss where, um, what is it? What did she say? Cecile is like, wow, you know, you'd really help me kind of blossom into my womanhood at this school or whatever. And she's like, you do that for me. And then Catherine says, of course, we're friends, right? And then Cecile's like, best friends, completely unaware. I just think that moment of irony, too, is so funny. And it reminds me of, um, what, what is it? Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Yes. How Violet... <laughs> And what's her name? The girl who's like super stretchy. Uh, uh, and Ruka. Uh, yes. Yeah. How they're like, we're going to be friends, best friends. And then a second later, it cuts to them looking at each other with absolute disdain. Yes. I just think it's so funny. I just love how that, <laughs> I love how that scene ends. Do you want to have a sleepover? And her mouth like immediately goes into a frown. Like <laughs> Comedy. I thought it did a good job of like showing how good like she is sexually manipulating people, especially like at the end of the kiss, like, you could tell Cecilia wanted more, and she like she literally gave her a taste of like what it is to be sexual, and she just I don't know it just like goes to show like like Zara was saying like the kind of person that she is. She's just really good at getting people to do what she wants, and just <laughs> at any any cost, pretty much. And I love that you said that. She literally gives her a taste. This woman is the devil, and she just gave this young girl a taste and yeah this this entire kiss is like i love how they lean into it she's like all right she kisses her once it's like a peck and cecile's like really happy she's like "Ooh, that's great and then Catherine's like yeah no no that's just beginner stuff so what we're gonna do is i'm gonna open your you're gonna open your mouth and i'm gonna stick my tongue in your mouth and you're gonna massage your tongue with my tongue and then they just go at it and i'm like oh my god the awakening for all of the 90s is here and right now, even in 2022, I would, you know, this is this is an awakening. I, I will say that. I will I will stand on that hill. But um, yeah, I, I, this part that always gets me too is that there's like a little spit between them when it cuts at the end of the kiss, like that. That just one little one little tendril. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's like ew, but also oh my god. <laughs> 
cutting from that sexy scene to another, let's finally talk about Reese Witherspoon as Annette. I wanted to wait till we got to the pool scene because I think this scene displays everything that is uh, that both Sebastian and Annette are about. And I just like the scene. Number one, I don't know if you guys saw it, but throughout the whole movie, the way Annette looks with her short hair and the way she kind of acts reminded me a lot of like Selena Gomez. Like, I don't know why I was like, she reminds me of Selena Gomez with a higher voice, but man, what do we think about Annette in this movie? I she was super cool and just like a believable character. Yeah. She's dope. I was like, dude, she looks like this, this sweet girl from the Bible belt, like, <laughs> but not annoying. And the pool scene was hilarious. Uh, Cause you could tell that he, that Sebastian planned on on her walking in on him, but he, the how he acts so pure, it's like, uh, can you turn around? Yeah, that that was hilarious to me. After he fully turns around and <laughs> like, oh god, again, just <laughs> sexual assault all throughout this movie. But I'd say she's like pretty similar to Cecile, but I guess more definitely more intelligent and understanding and not as gullible she like she knows her situation she has a set firm of beliefs that like that you're saying wasn't like annoying it, she wasn't like pushing it she just defends like what she believes in which is like said, admirable and it's i don't know she's just a good all-around character she's just wholeheartedly good essentially throughout the entire film i can't believe she got in the pool with him at first, because she knew she was naked, I don't know. I feel like her her character usually wouldn't probably wouldn't do that. I thought she would just like leave. I mean, she eventually does, but like, I think she was kind of giving him a chance. I think that was after. Was that after the beach scene with Greg? Right? Yeah. Yeah, that's afterwards. Just yeah, so he was trying to give him like a chance to prove himself. It was funny because how he tried to play the pure one for that hot second he played pure again also kind of showed like because like. This is when he's starting to pull at, like, the emotional thing about it to get her to reel her in. And so, um, like Annette, you can see, like, the lengths he's going through to, at this point, win the bet and not win Annette. But that, but it turns into winning Annette. Yeah, I just think it's also one of the cool parts. I mean, I say this about every scene, but every scene is so awesome. But this is a really cool scene of the movie because I just like how Annette is able to see through everything all at once. And you see Sebastian, who's this playboy who has this reputation of, you know, just being cavalier and ah, whatever, is visibly like upset that he can't get to her. And so I'm like, okay, there's some conflict and it makes me more interested in finding out, you know, for the first time I'm seeing this film, how is he going to go about wooing her if he even does? Because Annette just isn't typical. She's not, you know, gullible like Cecile. So I just like how she sees through. Yes. He said he wanted a challenge at the beginning of the movie. Turns out the challenge was love. And yeah, I do think this is the scene where we see Sebastian start to fall for her a bit because she does deny him. He, you know, if, if you notice throughout the movie, whenever Catherine is denied, she throws a fit and then immediately tries to like sexually reel someone back in mostly with Sebastian. But she also does it with Ronald. Uh, but when it comes to when it comes to Sebastian, when he's denied or uh, rejected, he at least with the net, you see him sort of appreciate her for doing that. And then that kind of reels him in because again, it's that whole thing of 
wanting what you can't have that I feel like that'll bring any boy into anything, honestly. But with him and Annette, it's specifically just her that he is infatuated with. And I, I enjoyed that a lot. Um, I do like this scene, though. I think it does highlight this, the things I enjoy. Um, just really the question of like how people can use sex and other desires against other people to get what they want and how far they will go. But that's kind of flipped on its head at the end of the scene where she's like, yeah, you're clever, but you're not that clever. And then she gets offended and then gets out the pool and he feels guilty for like the first time. And he's just kind of sitting there. I like the, the end line, you know, good night, sweet pea using the line that his aunt gave him earlier. Um, it's just a great little scene from there. There's this really weird scene between Sebastian and Catherine that I wanted to like a breakdown for a second before we kind of continue with the story. But like, so Catherine is like spying on Cecile and Ronald out there just kind of like, I guess they're practicing the cello, but it looks like they're just kind of rolling around and they almost kiss, but they don't. And Ronald has to go out and again, the subtle racism in this movie, but he goes, you know, he's like, see you later. Goodbye. And she goes, peace out. <laughs> and then Catherine's like, peace out, moron. And I was like, yep, you are correct. Cause like, why would she say that? Oh, you reminded me of this other scene where Cecile, where she's first expresses her, you know, crushed for Ronald, where she's like, wow, Dr. King is my favorite. Yes. Just at the end, at the beginning. And it's like, girl it's so obvious it's so bad he's like you're writing an opera right yeah it's about it's based on dr martin luther king dr king's my favorite and he just and then it's it's Catherine that just like does side eye and it's just like what the fuck are you talking about mm-hmm. another example of Catherine's just character being so good is <laughs> she didn't have to do that much she just had a look her eyebrow raised like two inches and it said everything <laughs> But the scene that gets me is between Catherine and Sebastian because right after that they go back. She you know she they she asks him if she's uh if she had sex with Annette yet. And he's like no, it's proven to be a lot harder. And then she's like she basically reels him in, and <laughs> this weird scene where she's laying on top of him, and he's laying there, and like they do this entire like oh we're gonna we're gonna do it on top of the clothes, and she like. Is she jerking him off? Is she giving him a hand job? Because like it's a weird scene because the way she's like moving her arm looks like she's pleasuring him, but also it's like does honey, are you cramping up there? Like you're in a very weird position. <laughs> her hand was in that area. I was like, what the hell? But like it's such a good scene because she goes and she does this whole monologue and then she's like, I like the way it ends just down boy gets up and leaves and he goes, Oh, come on. And I'm like, yep, I've been there. Yeah. That that's a, that's an expression. But I just really, just really weirded out by that scene because like, it just, it feels uncomfortable for both of them. <laughs> just like, is she, is she doing what I think she's doing? But like, if she is, then it, mm, why is it, why does it look like this? <laughs> is she, they look, they both look very uncomfortable body wise, but their face is saying like, yeah, we're enjoying this. That's all I really wanted to bring up. That's just like right after that. That's where we get the coffee scene of like, she's so young and he's so black. No brown sugar. No, no sugar. That <laughs> <I> just, <laughs> and then, um, they, they get, uh, sh- uh, Miss Caldwell does confront Ronald and Cecile and he, she fires him essentially. And he's like, yo, the black man's gone. I giggled when he said that. 
Yes. There's so many good lines like back to back to back because right after that is I love how he leaves. He gets on the elevator and right when the elevator door opens, Sebastian and Catherine are right there with that love letter. I just love that that like visual of this ding doors open and they're standing right there. Sebastian has this big old grin on his face. It's like, oh, they're going to ruin this man's life. He's in the cut to and he's like literally signing a deal with the devil or devils because he has to make up a love letter after he reads uh Cecile's love letter and they just Okay, so at this point, what is their plan? Their their plan is to keep Ronald and Cecile uh connected? I don't understand this part honestly. Roderick, any any insight? Yeah, I think they wanted to keep them connected just so that um Cecile could have an object that she could maybe like get her sexual experience on with perhaps being ronald and then set her loose to the streets so that she can become a slut or something yeah and again this is all to get back at her ex-boyfriend who dumped her over the fourth of july who by the way is not even thinking about her at all yeah like he's not even in this movie he's in that like one flashback right yeah he's in one flashback from there, we get another great line. I just, I do like the scene of Catherine and Se- Sebastian just like talking to Ronald, but there's that line that Sebastian <laughs> says that made me laugh out loud. He's just, he's like, can I just like send her a text or an email? Like, yeah, any normal person would be like, no, letters are romantic, plus emails are for geeks and pedophiles. And I was like, oh my God, they put that in this movie. <laughs> uh, to the internet, yeah. in the age of social media. <laughs> Jesus Christ. From there, uh, Sarah Michelle Geller is in a very nice dress, a very dark colored dress. Um, I can't even describe it, but it's just a nice dress. But she gives a good good monologue about being the Marsha fucking Brady of the Upper East Side and also wanting to kill herself. But essentially, I, I like I think the monologue is delivered really well. But she essentially is just saying that, you know, God forbid I do anything bad because I have to be the good girl all the time. Um, what do we think about this whole little insight to her character actually uh zarya i think it got it it shows like uh her own conflict with herself by what she actually wants to do versus what she is expect what's expected of her and so um all also like what's always expected of her probably doesn't line up um morally or just to her interest of what she wants to do or how she wants to go about things. So I actually kind of like that little monologue because it kind of like showed us a little bit more of her and like what she got going on. Yeah, same. Also, yeah, this movie says a lot about slut slut shaming. I feel I feel like it's it's very it's like this movie is advocating against slut shaming. Yet slut shaming is the goal of one of the characters in the movie. So it's kind of confusing there. But like you get where they're going at. Right, we see it in the the first scene, or the couple of first scenes with um between her, Cecile, and the the mom. Actually, I mean, it's just especially I don't know how hard it is for like uh someone like who's obviously high influence, like wealthiness, especially. I don't even know if their parents aren't even around at all because they're <laughs> off like probably vacationing. Yes. So she's obviously in charge of the house, but I mean, keeping just that that like pristine. Status is essentially what every wealthy family wants to do. She probably has a lot of pressure on her, and I guess it's probably why like they kind of lashed out as much more like her and Sebastian. I don't know because we don't really know their background entirely, but I mean, essentially, once you get put into a category like 
Sebastian was put in the category of like a player. So obviously no one's going to want to date him long term because he's just like, they just know he's going to like break up and just it's not worth it. So I feel like that's probably one of the reasons that he just like can't connect with other people and he's kind of forced to be with um, Catherine for so long. Because so like, it's, it's only like his only friend essentially and like, he wants to sleep with her for some reason. I don't know. So weird on that end, but yeah. Oh, wow. I know you said I don't know a lot of times, but you went pretty deep on this. <laughs> I did not think of any of that. <laughs> Good job there. Highlight of the podcast this year. I'll, I'll put that down. If I had my applause button, I'd press it. I don't have it. Thank you. <laughs> Too bad it's really late at night and I can't barely talk. <laughs> yeah, there's that. But you know, hey, when you listen back to this, you'll be able to write an essay. Someone will. <laughs> Uh, Roderick, what about you on Catherine's big monologue? I mean, Nolan Azaria, y'all got it. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. I will say, though, Walter, when you were talking about how this movie is kind of like a critique or, you know, maybe just an idea on slut shame, I wanted to highlight a line in the movie that I think goes to your point of saying how the movie was a critique or just a commentary on slut shaming and how people's attitudes are towards it. I think the line that Catherine delivers is is something that really struck a chord with me. How she says to Cecile as she's leaving this one scene, she's like, you know, everybody does it. It's just that no one talks about it. And it's delivered in a comedic context, but she was pretty much true. She was on the <laughs> that knows about it. You know, these yeah. things, just that that taboo, the innuendos that I don't know that that whatever in the air that you feel is always there in these situations outside of the comedy, but no one ever really talks about it. And the film just pokes holes into it, which makes it super fun. Yeah. Like this, that is a great point because like, man, there's a lot of things Catherine says, and I believe she believes that is, I honestly really like correct. Like she's right on the money. It's just that she just literally ruins people's lives. And so that's want to know. Yeah, it's like, oh, if only you weren't such a terrible person. <laughs> you want to know just now who she reminds me of, Catherine. Yeah. She reminds me of Madison Montgomery. Hey, okay, I can see that. I can see that. How she's just kind of like terrible and she's affluent, but at the same time, she has a actual solid grip on reality. It's just that she uses, you know, this this gift of seeing through people to manipulate manipulate everybody. Yeah. Kind of how Madison's line where she's saying, you know, I understand people in American Horror Story Coven. People don't change or people are just messed up. You know, it's something that's delivered at kind of as a throwaway, but it's like, oh, dang, this character kind of feels. But then you immediately gloss over it. The same with Catherine's, uh, you know, everybody does it line. You know, you, you meant you've said Madison Montgomery and I got excited, but like I knew who you I knew who you were talking about, but in my mind I immediately thought of Chanel and I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> Wrong character. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Chanel is just nah Chanel's more like Cecile, honestly. She's just not very aware. Moving along here so we can kind of get towards the end here. We're gonna talk about three other things. One, I just want to bring up the when Cecile and Ronald break like are forced to break up and Cecile Catherine calls Cecile on the phone and Cecile is just yelling like Terry Reed was oh, on the <laughs> <laughs> Catherine's like, Cecile, stop crying. Stop stop crying. And she hands the phone over to Sebastian and he goes, Cecile, stop 
stop crying stop stop crying <laughs> and she's just on the phone going <laughs> i was dead oh my god i just loved the fact that she was doing and then like when she sneaks out the house she's she wears the brightest red hoodie she could find and sneaks out the house and uh yes uh basically cecile and sebastian hook up or is cecile abused is she assaulted what where do we stand on this whole entire scene honestly like she she he does her whole trick he all right i'm assuming he does the the normal tricks he usually gets to uh he usually does to get girls to sleep with him but it comes off honestly kind of creepy to me i do feel that he did take advantage of her and then like when she talked to Catherine about it Catherine had like wielded it to where it was like like making her seem like that she did want it and I'm just like no 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 we don't do that yeah I gaslight them to thinking that they want that they wanted this man the gaslighting in this movie especially the second half is just all over uh Steve was very much taken advantage of just in the context of how this works in the real world. But for movie's sake, I do think that this scene was very funny and just another example of Sebastian being just one step ahead. He was like, you know, Cecile, I want to give you a kiss. And she was like, okay, sure. And he's like, but I didn't say where. And I always think that that part is funny because as he goes down under to give her a kiss, she's like, that feels kind of good. And then goes, oh, yeah, just this funny, funny face. And then we get to the next scene. I love that scene. I love that part so much. I don't know. Again, it's creepy, but it's like, uh, uh, that kind of tickles. Oh, now it feels kind of good. Ah, it's just like, she just falls. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I agree with everyone else as well. <laughs> Definitely like a creepy, like manipulative scene. Like, <laughs> film. and then the whole Catherine thing, like, you're like gaslighting her. Like, <laughs> not, th- it's like to think of it as one way. It's just like her pushing her to like, think of it as like i don't even know the way she gaslights her though like i don't understand how that fits into her narrative of making her like slutty i guess yeah or, I, don't, I don't know yeah i feel like you kind of just lose Catherine's. like i feel like Catherine, not Catherine herself loses her motivation but at some point it's just she's just doing this to be doing this <laughs> yeah but um if you know if all it took was just long island iced teas that's uh <laughs> So at some point, like it's really Cecile. I mean, I I don't know, but <laughs> I do like the whole thing. Is like I want to take pictures of you. Okay, cool. And she's like, but you got to do it sexy. She's like, I-, I could be sexy, and she does all these awkward poses on the bed. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that's that's me. That's me. I-, I think I'm sexy, and it's just a really awkward pose. Um, but the main question I did want to ask, and I guess it's kind of building off the scene because I was just thinking like, ah, this is so funny. But also, at what point does sexual seduction or the game of seduction become assault or abuse? When either party feels like they're being coerced into it and it's not like, like, um, like you could feel like that you gave into it. But if it feels like you were coerced into it, that's where I feel like it does cross that line. Or if, um, or if you're expressing it and it sounds negative, I feel like you might have crossed the line. It's just like when it's just it's if a, one of the parties just feels like it, they really didn't have a choice in the matter. Like the choice was already made for them. Got it. Um, Nolan, what about you? At what point does seduction become assault or abuse? The scene with Cecile 
was definitely a like on the line like almost maybe even over the line I, I guess in my terms because i think she was she was like pretty drunk and then he kind of like blackmailed her with the whole like calling his mom thing oh calling yeah. her mom so there was that and then like the whole like taking the pictures things i mean like he, he didn't at least do like he didn't do like a secret camera but he used all those other techniques to like do that to her and it's just like i think that scene was definitely like one of those ones that was just like oof, like it's it's very good to that point where it just it's just not even like i guess like appropriate uh, yeah i don't know yeah if we're going with the whole assumption that she's somewhere between 11 and 16 then yeah <laughs> I was yeah. joking with Eleven. <laughs> I was joking. <laughs> I know. I just wanted to call back to that whole like she's somewhere between there. We don't know exactly how she's going to high school, but you know we don't know it how. Um, but yeah, I agree. I just yeah, it, this again, the scene comes off hilarious, but then after you think about it, it's like very creepy, and I just really wanted to know because like I I find seduction highly interesting and entertaining and fun in some aspects, but like. Yeah, at some point, where where do you cross that line? Uh, for me personally, it's just when any party is uncomfortable, like Zarya was saying. But you know, it, you know, just want to make sure, put that out there. You know, there there are things we we should think about. Uh, clearly, they did not because I do love the morning after where her mom finds the doll in the bed and she goes Cecile, and then Cecile's like right there, and for some reason her hair is sticking up like Ace Ventura, like her hair is all over the place. Last thing we're gonna discuss going into the end of the movie here before we end is the relationship between Sebastian and Annette. How do we how do we feel about it overall? Uh, Roger, you can you can kick us off with this one. Uh, pretty much from overall going into the the way the movie ends how do we feel about sebastian and annette and how they grow i think their grow is pretty natural because they show up like they have a obvious attraction to each other they think they're both attractive because you know sebastian's pursuing her and she's not necessarily downright rejecting him she's you know entertaining him but at the same time she's keeping the distance but because there's that back and forth, you can tell that, you know, obviously she wants to be with him. She just wants to be around him. And so, you know, everything just builds up to the point where by the end, they're kind of madly in love. I think that progression was nice. I think it works out. The only thing for me, though, is how quickly they were able to get together when Annette does have a boyfriend. And she's supposed to be virtuous. Yes. That does kind of seem like, oh, well, that's kind of out the window. Yes, yes, yes. Um, I have the same kind of notes here, actually. But I just love how you started that off with that grow was pretty, pretty nice. That was just a funny way you said it. Uh, Zar- yeah. <laughs> Zarya, how you feel about uh, Sebastian and Annette's relationship getting into the end of the movie here? You know, I totally forgot she actually does have a boyfriend. <laughs> Um, you did too until, until Roderick like reminded me like oh wow yeah she even mentions him like you can tell like when it was a bet to him versus when it was real feelings for him and that growth was actually kind of pretty uh pretty nice to see uh, even going into like the end and when they actually do uh get together um like just the growth of everything was it was really nice to me but yeah it was i liked it it was really nice to see minus all the manipulation uh manipulation aside it was nice to see all right and uh nolan what's your thoughts on 
uh, Sebastian and Annette's relationship leading up to the end of the movie. In terms of like the boyfriend, I'm I'm pretty sure everyone forgot about him. Like even the show writers, like, <laughs> I don't remember like I remember her, her saying it once, and then everyone nobody talked about it again. The boyfriend, what boyfriend? <laughs> but I liked I liked how Sebastian was kind of being pulled, like, like I said, between like Catherine being like the evil, like but like the evil, but like also like comfortable because he knows what it's like to be like pulled around and like stringed around like with the whole like cat and mouse game like he knows he knows like nothing's really gonna happen but like he can still be a player and he knows what that life is like but with her he's never really felt love so he just kind of like does he doesn't want to dive right into it so he kind of gives up at first and then when Catherine gives the whole like evil monologue speech of how she was the mastermind of the entire thing and made his life horrible and then pretty much called him a loser and she wouldn't sleep with him yes. he kind of realized like how much of an idiot he is, and we have like the whole like bouncing back. Like he wants to get back with her. He realized how much of an idiot he was doing all that. I feel like the I feel like with the whole um the game, like it's never good to do a game like that, especially with like feelings and emotions. Like eventually, like someone's gonna catch feelings, and like it always happens in these kind of films. Yes, it does. But does it happen in real life? Yes, it yes, does. It does. <laughs> speaking from hurt <laughs> you're just waiting for drake to kind of i should just like edit in like a drake song in the middle of here <laughs> just slowly edit it in i'll say this i is i do think the first half of the movie is a lot stronger a lot more energized than the second half but the second half of this movie here leading up to the end does go full-on like 90s teenage drama but i do like the relationship between sebastian and annette I can see how they quickly fell in love. Uh, like Roderick mentioned, it is really fast, but I can see how th- being teenagers, um, touching on what Nolan said. Yes. It, <laughs> when it gets to Catherine's big villain reveal, it's just like, well, uh, you know, it's every teenage, every teenage high school boys, like worst nightmare, uh, eternally internally, which is, you know, a really hot girl not only embarrassing you but also giving you blue balls so you know there's that uh but overall i like their relationship i can see how in real life that uh reese witherspoon and ryan philippi would get on will go on to get married because you know ryan philippi and sarah michelle geller have a really good chemistry but like i do think the chemistry between reese witherspoon and ryan philippi is also as good maybe equally as good they just have a they they do really well with the romantic moments while i think with uh sarah michelle geller it's just purely sexual tension at least in this movie i mean the characters are written that way also but just like acting wise like you feel i feel like ryan Philippi is much more present in the scenes when it comes to him and reese witherspoon and again i do think that's just due to the fact that they were actually with each other um at, at this point Reese Witherspoon does steal the movie like I kind of do forget about Catherine after a while because I just she's Reese, she's Reese Witherspoon she's just entertaining on her own like I love her in, her in everything she's done everything I've seen her do like I know most people would think of her as like the the you know 90s heartthrob or heartbreaker question mark sweet home Alabama is, is that that's a movie she's in right 
I've seen it. Mm-hmm. If, yeah, my mom loves that movie. She, <laughs> my point is, I love Reese Witherspoon, and I I think she becomes the better half of the movie during the second hour, especially since we're losing Sebastian in this crazy convoluted scheme that Catherine puts on. I've just had some notes about the fashion. I thought it looked really nice, specifically <laughs> when uh, Catherine halfway in the middle of the film, she has these red streaks. I think it's I think it's so nineties. And yes. then Sebastian, when he's going to meet up with, who is it, Blaine and Gregory for that scene, he's in like this Matrix coat, and then he has these mini glasses. Yes. I was yes. just like, ah, the looks in this movie were super good. I wrote the same thing. So for me, it was the coat, the trench coat he had when he was waiting outside of Annette's like apartment. And it, it's like a really nice black long coat with like tail, like, like, um, kind of like tuxedo tails, but inside the coat, it was like a shiny burgundy, like red. Oh, yeah, that red. Yeah. And the way it was flowing in like the New York wind, like as this, like, you know, it's sun setting, it also goes to night. And I'm like, oh my God, he's like, he's a, he's a lost boy. I, I love this look. <laughs> and with the pants. Yes, loved it. <laughs> Whoever did this movie deserves an award. Given it says the murder board podcast, someone does kind of sort of get murdered. <laughs> I again, this is really bending a lot of the rules that I have for the podcast, but I just love this movie so much, so I couldn't say no to it. But so, <laughs> like Nolan mentioned earlier, Catherine does this big monologue, and I guess she does a lot of monologues, but she does this big villain reveal and how she just wanted to toy with Sebastian, which is a really good line. She's like, You're just a toy, Sebastian. And that kind of breaks him because that's because that's after he essentially reveals everything, almost everything to Annette about the, his bet and how she was just a conquest because they do end up sleeping together. She does uh, end up letting him. Uh, she, they well, at least they don't. What else is the way? What's the best way to say this? They end up making love. That's what it, that's what they got. They end up making love. That is so cringy to me. I hate that phrase. Making love. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I didn't want to say they fuck, but I mean, like he wanted to fuck earlier, and he kind of wussied out. <laughs> he kind of pussied out. <laughs> so I mean, I I don't want to say that, but they they make love. They they have sex. They they. I don't know how else to phrase it. Sorry. <laughs> I'm they sorry. Sexual That's super cringy to me. I can't. I hate. I hate it when people say that. Relations. I don't know why. <laughs> they have relations. <laughs> Ugh, that's worse. <laughs> relations. Oh, I sound. It's so clinical. <laughs> I sound like a fifty-year-old. But me yeah. <laughs> oh God. But um, yeah. So they have sex, and that kind of, and they officially fall in love with each other or to confess their love with each other and again like this later half of this movie uh, it becomes your typical like drama your typical romantic drama with teenagers although again Catherine, being evil as she is she i guess because sebastian (laughs) denies her one last time too many (laughs) she sends ronald after him which is, is the scene we brought up earlier that just makes no sense and I just don't like this. I don't like the fact that we resort to the angry black man who gets a white teenager killed. Like, technically he doesn't, but he is the cause of it. And so if the police were to arrive, I hope the brother ran away. But also, if the police were to arrive, this man it doesn't look good for this guy at all. Because um, who, who are they going to believe? The the black man or the, the, the literal white girl dressed in white who 
you know, just lost her boyfriend. Which, okay, I don't know what you guys think about this, but, like, should Sebastian have died? Like, he gets hit by a car, but he, he dies. I don't get physics here. Nolan, it's, I feel like, or Roger, go ahead. I don't know. Anybody. I don't get how this happens at all. His injuries did not look like he was supposed to die. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. (laughs) Well, he had like, what, a a head? Like, unless it was like a whole bunch of internal bleeding, his outward injuries did not look like he was going to die. Yeah, like, why did he just, like, die on the street like that? Why does, first of all, why did they get into a fight in the middle of the road? But, like, still, and, and Annette just decides to run out there because the script told her to. And she ends up getting pushed <laughs> down. And so, when she gets pushed down, uh, Sebastian sees her on the ground and decides to, like, push her out of the way of the car because, you know, he's, it's his, like Nolan said, it's, it's his redemption arc. But, like, he gets hit pretty close range like it's not like he got full-on like smacked by this car he just gets hit and he flips over and hits the ground like i didn't understand why he died <laughs> it's not like he broke his neck or anything like it's he was still talking and breathing and then we just cut to his, his funeral like either some somebody fucked up is what i'm saying like someone in new york just let this kid die <laughs> when he didn't have to um and i want that story i want that movie there like that's the movie we're missing that's the sequel we're missing what really happened sebastian is dead but then we move on to another awesome scene the final scene of this movie the funeral yeah (laughs) okay i was confused was this the first day of school or was it the funeral (laughs) both (laughs) i think it was a memorial service because he died right before school started so it was like a first day memorial for a fallen student <laughs> i just was like so confused i was like they all look like adults but they're all wearing the school uniform so i didn't know what this was for <laughs> but yeah um man oh man so we do get this great scene where uh annette and Catherine finally meet in this bathroom because things go down when you're in a high school and it always goes down in the bathroom um Usually in the boys' bathroom, it's a fight. But in the girls' bathroom, it's really intense conversations. But, uh, yeah, what do we think about this whole scene and them meeting for the first time? I think Annette gives herself away too, too, too soon. But it's a nice nice little uh, denouement. I don't know if that's how you say it. But like, that's a nice little ending to this movie here. But, um, yeah, Roger, what would you think about Annette and Catherine meeting for the first time? I like the fact that they kept them separate the entire film and then we finally see them get together at the end. And then again, it's that that irony of like, oh, Annette, well, she's going to find out. How do, how do I put it? Annette already knows about the whole entire plan, but like you were saying, she's giving it away in these lines that are just coded enough to where Catherine's like, girl, what are you talking about? But doesn't really read much into it. And then they just depart. It's very quick, but it's very sweet. Exactly. I thought it was really nice. Yeah. And honestly, I didn't even know they didn't meet each other until the end, until the scene happened. I was like, wait a minute. They haven't met each other all movie. <laughs> all right, cool. Um, Nolan, what'd you think about this final scene between Annette and Catherine in the bathroom here? Uh, I agree with Roderick. It was a, it was a nice scene. I like the coded messages and I feel like it had to have that one, the one teen drama bathroom scene where like they're doing the makeup and then like the two girls there's always two or three girls in there 
and it has like the that little moment like one of them says something and then like <laughs> it'll carry over and it mean has meaning to it or something like that yes although when i was watching this scene i was thinking about the whole oklahoma scene from euphoria this past year that's what i was thinking (laughs) (laughs) i was like someone's gonna walk in in a a cowgirl outfit but i was also thinking about the scene from scream you know how there's that random bathroom scene in scream right before i was (laughs) yes and it's just i was just like i just you know when she opens up the stall i'm just thinking like uh, she's maybe she's a slut like her mom and i'm like wait why was i thinking about that oh yeah scream because girls in the 90s in the bathrooms were so mean for no reason unless it was the amanda show then it was just the funniest skit ever the girls room love that skit that is one of my favorite skits this is the second podcast we've brought up the Amanda show. I just realized that <laughs> we talked about <laughs> Moody's point with, I know you did that. Summer. Oh my God, we did. <laughs> but yeah, I remember loving that skit. I like eggs. <laughs> oh boy. All right. Uh, sorry. What'd you think about this final scene in the bathroom here? Um, seeing it for the first time, I was like, okay, so something big is about to happen after because this is the first time that these two are meeting in person. Like, Catherine knows about um, Annette, but they just never met. So I was like, okay, so what's about to happen next? It was it was really nice. Yeah, and I just to kind of set up the scene, I, I totally forgot to mention this. But, like, right before Sebastian unnecessarily dies, because the script told him to, um, he gives, in order to apologize, he gives... Annette, a letter again they're just writing letters in this movie when i'm pretty sure pagers at least existed at this point but <laughs> he writes a letter explaining everything and then he gives annette his journal which is the one thing that uh even though she bets the car this is the one thing that Catherine was kind of wanting the entire movie was his journal because she wanted to read what he said about her and so she takes the journal and <laughs> makes many copies and basically publishes it which i am assuming there's a scene of her just breaking into the school (laughs) while like her dad's in a meeting or something and just photocopying like thousands of (laughs) versions of of, like thousands of copies of this of this book that he basically wrote but um yeah uh so that's kind of like setting up the scene in the bathroom there because afterwards like zaria was saying there's this big Big moment while she's giving her little eulogy to her brother. We get the the great music, and I've been holding this back the entire podcast, but the music starts to say it. Yes, and we get the whole they get the song and the the very sweet symphony. I just loved. I just screamed. I don't know why I did, but I screamed when that song came on, and it's a really great song. It's it's an earworm too. It's been in my my rotation for the past couple of months, actually. But um yeah, we get this great scene with of everybody out in the courtyard and <laughs> Annette and Cecile are just passing out copies of Sebastian's journal. And um yeah, I, I it's a nice little like, you know, although it's funny how this is like a high school centric like movie and yet the final scene is when they take place in high school. Yeah. Creative or lazy, I don't know. <laughs> but that was just pretty funny. Um, but yeah, Bittersweet Symphony starts to play and Catherine uh, gets finally gets what's coming to her. Uh, again, I, I didn't know if it was a funeral the first day of school, but I'm guessing it's the first day of school. <laughs> and so um, I do like the scene where uh, Catherine's like looking really pissed off. And like, I guess 
either her dad or the headmaster. I don't know. Some old white guy comes behind her and opens up her little cross thing and just sees the cocaine and then gives like the most disappointing head tilt. And I'm like, I get you're disappointed, but like, this is narcotics you're holding, dude. You need to arrest her. Call the police or get her in rehab something, not just look disapproval. It's like, mm, mm, mm. it's like, what? What do you do? And she could easily just run off right now and you wouldn't know what to do. <laughs> in his head, he was like, kids in their coke these days. <laughs> what are you going to do? <laughs> I know. I like how the principal just like takes the evidence of the cocaine and just dumps on the crime pretty much. Yes. Like, what are you doing? With the... <laughs> and oh, gives man. it back to her. <laughs> uh, all I know one thing is that, you know, a pigeon flew down and just got fucked up off that little pile. <laughs> Oh, Lord. No, poor Barry. <laughs> uh, I do have a question, though. Yeah, go ahead. Do y'all think that Catherine truly was upset over Sebastian dying, or was she playing the role of an upset step-sibling? That's a great question. I am inclined to believe that she was not that upset. She was playing it up. Me too. I, I feel that way as well. I think I'm going to have to disagree on that one. Oh. I think she... I think she was upset because at that very, like the beginning scene right before Annette walks in the bathroom and, you know, confronts her with all those innuendos and just secret coded messages or whatever. She takes a bump from the, (laughs) she takes a bump from the cross message from the cross. And she kind of has this look to her face of like, wow, what have I done? It's just me this final year. And I don't know. That's just what it reads to me. It reads like, wow, I've done all of this and have nothing to show for it. Sebastian's not even here. I've lost everything and you know, it's it's over. I think she was upset. Man, I was really hoping you were gonna say like she takes a bump from the from the body of Christ. <laughs> <laughs> she takes a bump from Jesus Christ himself and then, you know, continues her life. I'd have to agree with probably Rodrick on this one, because I feel like she's definitely like all about like torturing and just like seeing others suffer. So I don't think she'd ever want to see someone die necessarily but that's kind of why she sent um him out what's his name after him just to kind of like beat the shit of him a bit maybe just to give him some physical pain because she realized she couldn't do emotional pain to him anymore i don't think she ever wanted to see him dead but she definitely probably lost a part of herself because he died she probably felt sad but she i feel like eventually she would have probably moved on but maybe she would have been more into the coke like you're saying <laughs> split down the middle there um all right uh, yeah also fact about that scene um right before when, when she calls ronald they actually did film uh sebastian hitting her but oh. they thought it was like out of character for him at the time and so they this is a deleted scene and so they wanted to leave it open-ended like did sebastian hit her did he not hit her like ooh. oh okay all right that's interesting hmm. i I don't think I would have liked that, though. I think that's crossing a line too much. Although this is a character that has sexually assaulted many women in this movie that we've seen. But, like, I think hitting her would be a step too far. But that feels weird to say. <laughs> I do like the title of the journal being Cruel Intentions, because that brings the title of the movie to, you know, wink and a nod. You know, your Leonardo DiCaprio point there. And then, yeah, we end the movie with Annette driving his car, and she has this little tiny sunglasses that we mentioned earlier, and she just drives off to Bittersweet Symphony. And That uh, is a power move. I don't care what anyone says. Man, yes, power move, powerful ending, loved it. 
And um, yeah, so that's Cruel Intentions. I tried to get through this as fast as I could. Um, so, guys, do you recommend Cruel Intentions? Uh, let's start with Nolan. I would recommend it for people who are into, I feel like, more of the drama part. Then I feel like if you like the typical romance, this might be a little bit too much drama, maybe. If you don't like Gossip Girl and stuff like that, like the teen kind of... It definitely goes a bit further than I think Gossip Girl does in terms of like how, I guess, cruel it is. <laughs> how cruel their intentions are. Uh, he said it. He but, said it. Oh, I said it. <laughs> so... I think it's I think it's worth a watch, but I don't know if I'd recommend it for everyone. It might not be for everyone's taste. Uh, Zarya, recommend it. It's a cool watch. I liked it. Uh, and uh, Roderick, totally recommend it. Same here. I 100. percent Like I said, this is one of my favorite movies. I, and again, it's very dated. Uh, it's very 90s, but like, and obviously, there's a lot of like toxic wrong things in this movie. Like, on, I was I was listening to a podcast. Oh, hold on. I was listening to a podcast and they essentially said like, this is just one penetration away from being actual porn. And I'm, I don't think I disagree with that, but like, I still enjoy the movie. <laughs> I think Sarah Michelle Gellar does deliver her best performance, probably in her career in this movie. I, I haven't seen Period. it. Yeah. I haven't seen everything she's done, but this is, uh, this is great. And I do think Ryan Phillippe also probably delivers his best performance in this movie as well. I know he's done a lot of uh, Lifetime movies and he's been a lot on, he's done a lot of stuff on TV. I, you know, I, I think for me, he stops here though. <laughs> um, yes. Selma Blair is good. Everybody's really good in this movie. I, I like the story of base level dangerous liaisons, cruel intentions. I just like that, you know, I, again, making a bet is a form of sexual assault, but like, you know, teenagers doing what teenagers do and the fact that this one is as bold as it is being more sexually driven while also adding in the comedy is uh, quite unique because I don't think you see this anywhere else in the 90s until you get to like American Pie, which I think American Pie came out the same year, but American Pie is much more raunchier and I think has a different tone to it. It doesn't take itself so serious. This movie, I enjoy that it takes itself seriously. I enjoy movies that do take themselves seriously. So that's why I'm able to enjoy this a lot more. And so, yeah, I definitely recommend Cruel Intentions. Um, So, yeah, thank you guys for joining. Roderick, thank you for a beautiful intro and a beautiful show here. Thank you. Um, and so, yeah, thank you guys for listening. Uh, yes, we are again, nearing the end of summer. I'm sorry that these episodes are coming out, uh, very late. <laughs> I am still behind on editing. So like by the time this comes out, it may be like close to September, but still end of summer. Um, next episode will be the last of our little mini series here as before we get back into the horror and thriller genres respectively uh wild things roger another movie you've seen right yes oh my god this movie has so many twists and turns i i am so excited for whoever does this episode with us um zarya i really hope you come back for this one because this is wild this is it, it, there's no other way to explain this movie this this movie is insane uh, Nolan, you two, you're, you know, you guys are always welcome, but I'm going to see if I can, 
muster up a a good unique group of people for this one because <laughs> this movie needs all the help it can get <laughs> to explain the plot the, this plot is all over the place insane and i love every second of it i watched this movie when i was when i had covid last year and i said through off through you know in between the wolf and coughs i was like we gotta do this movie on the podcast at some point because this shit is insane <laughs> it said exactly like like from beginning to end like i don't know if you remember roger but like from beginning to end this movie just does not stop no um, it's hit after hit it truly is aptly named yeah it's like it's you, a wild thing yeah wild things from uh i forgot what year but like wild things with nev campbell and them like you're, you're, <laughs> you're gonna be worn out by the time this movie's done with us and then yeah like i said after that we're gonna get back into more respectively uh, respective thriller. I think we're doing more thrillers uh, coming up in September, uh, leading into, and then we'll get into horror leading into October. I'm excited because Halloween's coming out, but I'm also excited because I know we're doing um, we're doing Red Dragon at some point coming up soon, which is one of my favorite. It is my favorite of the Hannibal Lecter stories. is a prequel to The Silence of the Lambs. Um, I know uh, we settled this. But Nolan, we're doing Daredevil coming up real soon. Actually, uh, the the uh, Netflix or now Disney Plus's Daredevil, and then uh, we'll be doing the Incredible Hulk. I know Sheldon's excited for that one with uh, Ed Norton. Uh, oh, Primal Fear, also another wild movie. I can't wait to show you guys. Um, yeah, lots of exciting things coming to the podcast as we reach the end of the year. But until then, thank you. And um, what's a good like tagline we can go out on? Because this movie's full of them. What line made you laugh the I most? I got one. Yeah, go ahead. What are you doing, step bro? Uh, <laughs> the black man is out. <laughs> and we'll catch you again on the murder bird. <laughs> <laughs>